0: There once was a boy who built himself a boat. It wasn't a full-size boat. It was a model boat, a tiny sailboat. For years, he and his father had been going uh, to the nearby pond to sail store-bought model boats across that water. But now he was 10 years old, and he wanted his own boat. So he designed it himself, he went out and bought all the materials with his own money that he saved up. And under his father's watchful eye, he carefully crafted this boat out of wood and canvas and string. And he named it Beauty, because he liked how it looked across the water. Every Saturday, and sometimes after work, he and his father would run down to the pond and sail that little boat. They watched with joy and pride as beauty caught the wind and raced across the pond. But one day, a storm blew in. Suddenly, the wind blew especially hard. And before they knew it, that boat was headed toward the far side of the pond, where it emptied out into a fast-flowing stream. The boy hurried around the shoreline, trying to get there ahead of time. But the underbrush was too thick, and uh, the boat got carried downstream. All he could do was watch it disappear from view. The next day, he and his father walked a long way down that stream, but there was no sign of his boat. As they trudged back, the father said to his son, Well, why don't we build another boat? I don't want another boat, the boy said. I want beauty. Weeks passed, and then months The father and the son found other things to do that summer, but nothing was quite as fun as sailing that boat across the pond. The next spring, father and son were out shopping in town, and they walked past the resale shop. The boy stopped suddenly and pointed at the window, look, I think that's my boat. The father leaned in and looked and said, "Uh, I don't know, son. The boat in the window had been just badly broken. It was painted a dull gray color. The hull was cracked. The sail was torn. There were pirate flags stuck on top. But the boy insisted, that's my boat. So they went inside for a closer look. And sure enough, there were the letters, B, E, A. It was just peeking through that chipped gray paint. I knew it, he said. It's beauty. They ran in quickly, found the store manager, explained what had happened, how the boy had made the boat himself, but had lost it in the storm last spring. I wouldn't know about that, the store manager said. All I know is that it's got a price tag on it now. You're welcome to buy it if it means that much to you. The boy looked down at the price tag, and he looked up at his father, and he said, can we buy it, Dad? Can we buy it back? It's in pretty bad shape, son, the father said. I don't know if it will ever sail again. That's okay, the boy said. I want it anyway. I've got some money saved up at home. And the father said, But I thought you were saving that to buy a new skateboard. I'd rather have beauty, the boy said. So the father plunked down some money on the counter. They took that little boat home with them. And it took some time and it took some work. But before too long that boat looked just like it did the day the boy made it. And soon after, he and his father were back down by the pond, watching with joy and with pride as that little boat would catch the wind and race across the pond. God created you and me as surely as that boy made that boat. And God made us for beauty and joy, for goodness and purpose and love, and most importantly, most importantly, he made us for himself. He made us to enjoy relationship with him today, in this very day, and forevermore. But something happened along the way, and we got lost and broken, just as surely as that little boat. And our relationship was ruined by our sin our rebellion against God, our going our own way instead of His, our foolishness, our recklessness. We were taken captive by sin. We were taken captive by the devil, the enemy of our souls. Now, unlike that little boat that was swept away by outside forces, this isn't something that just happened to us. Oh, I I didn't know... No, this is something... We brought upon ourselves. And so we need to be redeemed, just like that little boat. We need to be rescued, and we need to be restored. And, my friends, that is precisely what Jesus came to do. Today, we're kicking off a new school year, a new ministry year. And we celebrate this every year, but this year is a little bit special because today we're rolling out a new vision and a new mission for the future of our church, our life together. And we talked about this at our congregational meeting earlier this morning, and we'll keep talking about it. Come on out at 9.30. We're going to pray about it next week, and we're going to talk about it the week after, and we're really going to try to put flesh on this. So this is an exciting day. It's an exciting day for for New Life Philadelphia. I mean, it's an exciting time. Any time a church says we want to renew our sense of calling and what vision does God have of us? What is his mission for us? And To, to, to grasp for that and, 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 and seek after that, and that's where we are today. I'm going to talk about that in this message. But first, let's go back. Let's go back into the scriptures. And shortly after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Apostle Peter was invited to a man's house to talk to him about Jesus, about the Christian faith. And that, that man's name was Cornelius. He was a soldier in the Roman army. He was not Jewish, but he was what was called a God-fearing person. And that meant that he was a Gentile. He followed the moral code of the Jewish law, but not the dietary and the sacrificial laws. But one day, Cornelius, he was seeking after God, and he had a vision in which an angel told him, in effect, if you really want to know what life in God is about, you need to talk to a man named Peter. Well, the angel told him where Peter was, so Cornelius sent Some of his men over to Peter's house, and they came to Peter's gates. And they stopped there, and they started calling for Peter. They didn't know where he was, but there there they were at the gates. Peter heard them, and he came down to greet them, and Peter went with them to Cornelius' house, and he told them all about Jesus. The gospel was breaking through. The gospel was breaking out into the nations. And Peter preached a short sermon to Cornelius and his household that day. And that very day, Cornelius put his trust in Jesus Christ as his Savior. He was baptized, he and his household, and he received the Holy Spirit. In short, he became a follower of Jesus Christ along with his entire household. So today we're going to just zero in on one verse, one verse from that story, one sentence that Peter spoke to Cornelius about Jesus. And Peter summarized the life and the mission of Jesus in such a simple but beautiful way. And it inspires us as a church to live that way too. After all, we are followers of Jesus Christ. But first, I want you to hear what Peter said. I want you to hear the words of the scripture. We're going to just look at the the end of his message. It's in Acts chapter 10. This is the other Bible book that Luke wrote. And uh, we find Peter talking to Cornelius and his household, and he's telling them all about Jesus. So here in verse 38 of Acts chapter 10, this is the word of God as Peter talks about How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Because God was with him. Then Peter goes on. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. through his name, the word of God. The heart of what Peter told Cornelius, and the the one verse we're going to focus on today is right here, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Man, what an incredible way to summarize a life and a mission. The life and the mission of Jesus Christ. As individuals and as a church, look, we cannot duplicate the divine nature of Christ. He is God. He is the one and only Son of God. He is the Messiah. We are not. We're not any of that. But we are called to follow Him. And we're we're told in the New Testament to be imitators of Jesus as his followers. How are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to be imitators of Jesus Christ as a church? Well, to get at that, think of it like this. If you could sum up the life and the mission of our church in a single sentence, how would you do it? If you could sum up the life and mission of our church in a single sentence... How would you do it? It's not easy. We've been working on this for about two years. But it's important. So here's how we're trying to do that in this new vision for our church going forward into the future that God has for us. Our vision is to be a thriving family in the city where the broken from all nations are made alive and whole, finding hope and purpose in Jesus. A thriving family in the city where the broken from all nations are made alive and whole, finding hope and purpose in Jesus. That's our vision. We're going to be talking about it. We'll be unpacking it in in sermons this fall, putting meat on those bones. But that's our vision, and that's what we're going to talk about today. The title of the message today is a vision of God's goodness for the broken everywhere. That's what we need. And that's what the world needs. There, there's nobody you know who doesn't need this vision, a vision of God's goodness for the broken everywhere. And Acts 10, verse 38, is just a great verse to help us understand this vision and, and to unpack it a bit and, and, and to talk about what it will require of us. What, what, what is involved as we pursue this vision? We're not just going to say this vision and poof, it comes to pass. It's we don't have that power. We're, we're going to have to pursue this as the people of God in this place. What's going to be involved in that? I want to talk about a few things that are, will be involved in that. And the first is uh, that this will require the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do this in our own strength. We cannot. Let's not waste our time and effort. We're not smart enough. We're not strong enough. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 38 says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. We see again and again in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit is our source of power on the inside of our lives. Jesus said to his followers before he ascended back into heaven, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He said, just wait. Don't rush ahead of the Holy Spirit. You're going to need Him. So, Being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not spooky, but it is life-changing. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do things that we weren't able to do before, that we just can't do on our own. For example, to show compassion that doesn't come naturally. To be courageous when before you were filled with fear. To be bold when before you were timid. To be generous when, if you're honest, it's in your nature to be a bit selfish or stingy. The Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit anoints you with power to live a different way. And to do, instead of your own work, the work of God through you. I would encourage you... to. To think of it like this, if Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior, our Lord, if Jesus needed the anointing of the Holy Spirit, how much more do we? How much more do we? So make this your prayer every day. Lord, fill me. Anoint me with your Spirit. Give me today the power to do what I am otherwise powerless to do. Get some honor and glory in my life, Lord, through what your Holy Spirit will do. I think that sort of prayer, it's essential. It's got to be ongoing. It's got to be daily. When a church or an individual has any kind of vision of God's goodness for the broken, uh, they soon find that it is impossible to pursue it without the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. He he changes a mere good deed into a God deed. Have you ever seen that happen? He changes a mere good deed into a God deed, something that God is in it, an act of kindness or mercy or generosity that somehow changes the course of people's lives. Now, we can't do that. I can't do that. You can't do that. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the anointing of the Holy Spirit on our church. You know, we're part of a community here in this this part of Philadelphia, our parish, this region, uh, where the broken from many nations are living. You just walk through the neighborhoods. Where the broken from many nations are living and working and passing through. Uh, You know, my family and I, we have been part of this community in Alney and in East Oak Lane for more than 37 years. I can hardly believe it. We raised our children in this community, and I love this place. You know, this is my place. These are my people. I love this place, and I'm so thankful that God called me to this place because it's a place it's a place where I've come to see how we, we the broken, we speak to the broken. We speak heart to heart. We speak eyeball to eyeball. We stand on the same ground, the broken speaking to the broken, about Jesus who meets the broken and makes them whole and gives us life. It's just, it's just amazing. And one of the things that we want to do, we, we want people to know that they matter. People are living in a world increasingly where they get messages of all kinds that they don't really matter. And so one of the things that we're saying as a church is everything that God does, everything that we do, it's because you matter to God and to us. That's that's the new motto of our church. You'll see it up on the banner here. We want people to hear that. We want them to hear this this open-ended statement Because you matter to God and to us, it it invites a a conversation. It invites a relationship. It invites interaction. And we're going to need the Holy Spirit to carry in our hearts what God has in his heart. That people matter to God. People matter to God. So we want to be saying to people, it's all because you matter to God and to us. We need the Holy Spirit. Second, this vision, pursuing this vision, it's going to lead us into a fight for the broken. A fight for the broken. Notice verse 38 says, He, that is Jesus, went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Under the power of the devil. Those are strong words, folks. Strong words. Needing to be healed. People broken by sin, by oppression of all kinds, and all kinds of chains and bondage. Who are these broken people, and where are they? They are here. They're here. We are the broken. And they are all around us. Everyone you know, everyone you will ever meet, is broken in some way, by sin, in some kind of oppression and bondage. And needs to be made alive. Needs to be made alive and and made whole. That brokenness made whole in Jesus Christ. That's what he came to do. He was on a mission. And he accomplished it. And we're here today because of that. So when I talk about a fight for the broken, I'm talking about a fight... For all of us, a fight for our lives, a fight to be made whole and holy in our church, but also a fight for lives in our community. You know, Jesus went around doing good for the broken, making them whole. So I think you can see I'm not talking about some kind of shallow, um, surface-level do-goodism. I'm talking about spiritual warfare. So we need to gird up our loins talking about spiritual warfare. This is not like falling off a log. This is like a fight. And that fight breaks out whenever the gospel encounters brokenness. Spiritual warfare. When you commit to go around doing good, bringing the gospel, bringing Jesus into every situation and every opportunity, you're going to find yourself in situations that only God can get people through. And if you think about your life, you know that you you can make a list of things that God has helped you, God has met you, and God has gotten you through some impossible things. So what you have is hope. You've seen God do it. You've experienced God doing it in your own life, in dealing with your own sin, with your own brokenness, that ongoing thing that the Holy Spirit does. So you've got some hope. And you can bring some hope that you've received. You can bring that to others. You know, people are going to come into your life who are under different kinds of oppression. It might be financial oppression. Maybe you can help them out, but... It might mean that you're going to have to get honest with yourself and with them about your own brokenness. And it might mean that you're, you might have to spend a little less money on yourself. There's a cost. People will come into your life who are struggling with depression or loneliness or grief or shame. And you may have an opportunity to love them and help them. But it might mean that you'll have to get honest with yourself and with them about your own brokenness. And it might mean you might have to let go of some of your free time. There's a cost to it. If you've been there yourself, if you've honestly faced your own brokenness, well, you know something about the goodness of God to you. It wasn't something you could deserve or command. But God was good to you. Man, you've got, you got hope. you got a message. You can bring that same vision of the goodness of God to others, that same hope that has come to you. There are going to be times when you have the opportunity to love people and help people who have gotten themselves into to destructive and dangerous situations. And I know the temptation at that point is to say, good luck with that. I'll see you later. I hope it works out for you. I'll be praying for you. But if you've been there yourself, if you have walked in brokenness, in the darkness, if, if you have taken an honest look at your own sin, if you've been there, and you have received the mercy of God in Jesus Christ, man, oh man, you become committed to bringing in the goodness of God at every turn because that's what makes the difference. And that will enable you to stand with others in their darkest moments and, and help them walk. You walk with them through what feels like the valley of the shadow of death. You know, if we make it our mission to go around doing good in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, hey, from time to time, we're going to find ourselves in a tight spot. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been there? We're going to find ourselves in a tight spot, a a spot we didn't know how we got into it, and we don't know how to get out. So I want to make it plain that this is not a Pollyanna sermon about let's all do good and be nice to each other. It doesn't work that way. A commitment to follow Jesus in going around and doing what is good it's not for the faint of heart. And that's why we're in it together. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. It requires courage because, you know, sometimes you, come, you, you just come face to face with, with darkness and with the prince of darkness. And sometimes that darkness is within you and sometimes that darkness is in someone else's life, but you know it when you see it, you know it when you feel it. And only the Lord can deliver the broken from their darkness. That's what he came to do. He's the light of the world. And the darkness cannot overcome the light. It's as simple as that. The question is, will we believe it? Will we act on it? Third, this will make it clear that God is with us. Look at verse 38 again. He went around, Jesus went around doing good because God was with him. It will be a failure if people come and go and say, "Mm, pretty nice bunch of people, they've got their problems, and they never saw anything that told them that God was with us. (laughs) We can't let that happen. We have to be dependent upon God. We have to let them know that it's not us who make the difference, it's Jesus who makes the difference. It's God. We want people to know that God is here. That God is among us. It's not about us. It's about him. So important. When you walk with a God who is good, it's, you, you find this just working in your spirit. You, know, it, you, you find yourself drawn to wanting to be an imitator of your Lord and Savior and to, to, to do good to others. You want to help others. You want to love others as you've been loved. Jesus put it like this. He said to his followers, Freely you have received, freely give. Have you received anything from the hand of God? Somebody say yes, please. If you have. (laughs) That was not a rhetorical question. (laughs) I hope we've all received some things that are so precious to us. Forgiveness fellowship with the living God and with each other, mercy, boy, have I needed mercy, grace, boy, have I needed grace, truth, boy, have I needed truth. These are precious gifts, freely. I didn't, I didn't earn them. You didn't earn them. We had nothing to commend ourselves to God, to say, you, you must give me these things. No, never, impossible. <laughs> freely you have received all this mercy and grace and forgiveness and salvation and a new life, eternal life, freely you have received. Now, we love those things, and we want to keep them. We don't want to lose them, right? And this is counterintuitive. If you want to keep those things, you have to give them away. You have to. The only way you'll keep them is if you give them away, the grace, the mercy, the love, the forgiveness. Because in the giving away, You yourself begin to understand how precious these things are that God has freely given to you. So you keep them, but you give them away. And you keep them and you give them away. A natural result of God's presence in your life is that you would like to be a blessing to others the way that God has blessed your life. God is in it. But I think we have to, you know, we've got to be honest. And the fact is that all of us are goodness challenged. Is there anyone here who finds it just so easy to just go around doing good all the time to everybody you meet? (laughs) We're all a bit goodness challenged. That's what sin does to us. We've lost goodness. We're goodness challenged. The Bible says none of us is good. There's not a one of us in ourselves. No one is good. We've all sinned, says the Bible. We've all fallen short of the standard that God has set for goodness, which is perfection. Last time I checked, I am not perfect. (laughs) Last time I checked, you are not perfect either. We can't go through a day without messing it up in some way. We all fall short of the goodness standard of God. Isaiah put it like this as he looked ahead to the Messiah who was going to come. And he he looked ahead and he saw Jesus coming as the promised Messiah. And this is what he said. He said, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him that is the Messiah, the coming Savior. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So doing good is not something that we can accomplish on our own. We can't do it. In fact, have you ever experienced this? I think the more we try to do good and try to be good, the more we mess things up. Because we end up relying on ourselves. I know there are some here today who would say, look, my life is way out of control. What good could I possibly do in somebody else's life? Please, hear me well. When Jesus died on the cross, he had you in mind. You matter to him. When he died on that cross, the sins of the world were laid upon his shoulders. I'm talking about my sins. I'm talking about your sins. Every sin that would ever be committed laid upon him. And when he died, when he died, the defining, controlling, destroying power of sin died with him. He paid the price, fully, completely, for every sin, past, present, future. He was laid in a tomb because he was dead. And they expected him to stay there, by the way. But much to their surprise, three days later, his cold, dead body suddenly came to life. The Bible tells us that the father raised up his son... In the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow. And it was a a kind of life that the world had never seen before. It was a resurrected life. And it proved once and for all that Jesus is the one. He's the one. There's no one else like him. He's the one. And he has the unique divine power to overcome the greatest of our enemies, sin, death, and Satan. And even though we don't have it in us to be all that good, he wants to pour all of his goodness over us and into each and every one of us. He wants to enter into each and every heart. He wants to make his home there. He wants you to be able to go around doing good because he is good and he is with you everywhere you go. So Peter wrapped up his conversation with Cornelius by saying this. Verse 43, everyone who believes in him, that is Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. There are people hearing this today who are like Cornelius. You've been partially connected to church, partially connected perhaps to religion or faith or spirituality, but never honestly, never truly, fully, vitally connected to Jesus. And maybe you've come to church for years. Maybe you're here once in a while. But you've never made that one-on-one connection with this crucified and risen Savior named Jesus who can make you alive, make you whole. And you've got some broken places in your life. Man, it's really hard to admit that to yourself, let alone to anyone else. You need Jesus, but you you find that, well, maybe I just need Jesus a little bit from time to time. Jesus, be there when I need you. And somehow it doesn't work. You've never come to believe that you're desperate. That you need Jesus desperately as the one and only who can give you life and make you whole, and change you from the inside out. And because of this, you know, this vision of bringing God's goodness to the broken at every turn, it seems irrelevant to you. It seems impossible to you, just way too far out of reach. Well, it isn't. It isn't. Today is a great day for you to make that connection with Jesus Christ. Today. Today is the only day you have. You don't have yesterday, you don't have tomorrow, you have today. So today I'm inviting you to make this connection with Jesus Christ, as Cornelius did in this passage. Trusting in Jesus, finding forgiveness of sins, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Make that connection with Jesus Christ. It's as simple as facing your sin Owning it, saying, that's mine, I did it, no excuses, no explanations, help. Jesus, help me. And he will. He will. to Turn away from that and ask Jesus to come into your life today, to forgive your sins, to give you new life and to make you whole, to give you new purpose, a reason for living, new hope. His presence will give your life a new purpose for tomorrow to bring to others what a good God has brought to you in Jesus Christ. So, as we wrap things up, you know, I hope that you love being here on Sunday mornings. I do. It's my favorite place to be. But I want to remind you that the purpose of being in our sanctuary on Sundays is not to hide from the world, but to renew our vision of the Christ who is at work in the world. That's what's happening here. Like Peter with Cornelius, someone is at your gates. Someone is at your gates. If you pay attention this week, you will hear their voices telling you about their brokenness and their pain and their search for spirituality. They may not call it that. They won't use those words. They may start off by telling you about an op-ed column that really disturbed them. Or they may talk about their frustration with the violence in our city, in our country, in the world. They may talk about the frustration of the presidential race. They may may talk about their, their cynicism about their job. Or maybe their fears about their children. But if you listen carefully, you can hear the subtext of those words. The subtext of their yearning for God. Their yearning for a God who is good. A God who loves them and can meet them and walk with them. And this yearning is already a prayer. God is stirring it up. God was at work converting Cornelius long before Peter got there. Right? So God is at work converting lives in your world and he wants you to be part of it. So someone... Is at your gates. Someone is at your gates. Maybe your colleague or a fellow student or your neighbor or a relative. Maybe uh, your enemy. Maybe someone you're fleeing from. But somebody is at your gates. Maybe someone you will meet this week, probably sent to you by God. Are you ready? Do you have a vision of God's goodness that you can share? Someone is at your gates. Amen? Amen. Let us pray.